This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Please do be seated. The passage we're looking at today is on page 752, the second chapter of uh, the book of the prophet Jonah. And uh, I'd like to begin, though, by wishing you a happy new year. It's great to see you here. Sometimes it takes something like a big fish to awaken us to the grace of God. There are times in life when things seem to swamp you, when you can feel overwhelmed. I think this is a universal human experience. If you haven't experienced this, then it will be an experience you have. When you can't do anything else but flap around helplessly, when no matter what you do, you can seem to be sinking. It could be that you're in an overwhelming amount of debt or that your financial troubles just overwhelm you, exceed your capacity to deal with them. It could be that your relationships aren't what you hoped for. It could be that you're experiencing terrible grief. It could be that your health is slipping away from you or that you've had bad news in that area of your life. And at those moments, we often call out and ask, don't we, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything about it? And yet, it's at those moments that God speaks to us most clearly, if only we will listen. Now, Jonah knew enough of the Bible to have no, should have, that he should have known this. He should have known that God saves people because of his mercy and his grace, not because they can help themselves, but because and when they are helpless. In fact, it's one of the greatest lies that's ever been penned that some people, sometimes people say that God helps those who help themselves. Nothing could be further from the Bible's view of God. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Now, Jonah should have known this. And in fact, he did know it, but everything in him protested against it. He'd been sent up the road to preach uh, to the Ninevites, the biggest, baddest people of that day, the most aggressively violent and anti-God society there could have been, the, the colonial oppressors of his own country. And to Jonah, this seemed dangerous and stupid at best. The Ninevites didn't deserve mercy. They weren't worthy of it and would probably flay him alive and leave his skin flapping on the walls of their town, which they used to do to, the, to their enemies. In Jonah's mind, as an Israelite, and especially as the prophet of the Israelites, he was entitled to belong to God, and others weren't. So as we heard last week, Jonah went exactly the opposite direction. He went down to the local port and he booked a trip to Tarshish, which is in the west of the Mediterranean. We know not exactly where, but it is the exact opposite direction of the place he was supposed to go, Nineveh to the east. Only, of course, God sent a storm upon the ship. He couldn't escape God that easily. 
Where we left Jonah, he'd just been tossed overboard by the sailors on that ship who themselves had recognized uh, the God of Israel as the powerful God and uh, had done the right thing and they'd, uh, they'd then tossed Jonah overboard as he had instructed them to do. Well, what happens next is the most famous part of the story. In verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, I've often thought or asked the question, was this better than drowning or worse? Was Jonah being saved by the fish or was he being eaten alive or a combination of the two? Now, over the last 300 years, a lot of scholarly effort has gone into trying to work out which kind of fish could have swallowed Jonah whole and whether a man could survive in a fish for three days and three nights. Would there be enough oxygen? For one thing, wouldn't he be slowly dissolved by the stomach acids inside the fish's belly, etc., etc., that kind of thing. But this way of thinking about the fish is a gigantic red herring. Thank you. Now, I believe in the God who is the God of miracles and who can raise a man from the dead, who creates everything that we know out of nothing. And I trust that the Bible is God's word. There are some miracles that a Christian must believe in. We follow a supernatural faith. But debating whether there is a fish big enough to swallow Jonah or not misses the point of the story and distracts from the message of the book. The truth of it is that God sends big fish along all the time. The fish is God's severe mercy, his tough kindness. It's the, in the belly of the fish that finally Jonah comes to his senses. He realizes two essential things about God, really sorry, essential things about himself, about his own spiritual condition, and a third thing about God. He comes to a powerful self-understanding which leads to a powerful understanding about the Lord God who made him. We'll get to those in just a minute, but first of all, we need to think a little bit more about the fish. It's a strange kind of rescue, isn't it? It's not exactly landing on cushions or being plucked from the water by a helicopter. The fish saves him, but imprisons him. It stops him from drowning, but it exposes him to being digested by the fish. But in the darkness of the fish's guts, Jonah is able finally to see, to see the truth about himself and about God. God is sending you fish all the time. In his great book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis called human suffering God's megaphone. He said these, these memorable words. He said, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We should notice, shouldn't we, that the sweetness of life has a divine source. We of all people living where we do in one of the sweetest parts of God's earth 
And we should give thanks to him day by day as we sip that glass of Shiraz or feel the warmth of the summer sun on our backs or go to the beach that summer afternoon, dip in the currently icy waters. And we should exalt the pray in, in we should exalt the praise of the one who made these things, who gave us these experiences. When we realise that there is indeed right and right and wrong in the world, we should immediately think, look, if there's right and wrong in the world, then there must be one who put that right and wrong there. There must be a judge. This is atheism's, atheism's greatest weak point, of course. But we can subdue those voices. We can become deaf to them. With pain and suffering, with discomfort and difficulty, with life storms, on the other hand, we cannot be so flip. As Lewis said, God is shouting to us in these experiences so that we might stop believing in our divinity and start trusting in his. He's shaking us and saying, listen to me. Now, it's important that we don't see God as cruel and vindictive in this. Not at all. He weeps with us when we weep. His sorrow is our sorrow. And we know from Jesus, from knowing that God became one of us, that his pain is our pain. Our pain is his pain. But numerous Christians over time have testified that it was at their lowest, not at their highest moment, that God spoke to them most clearly. This is what happened to Jonah. And what did he learn while he was languishing in the viscera of the fish? Well, first, he learnt this. He learnt that he didn't deserve God's favour. And second, he learnt that he was spiritually powerless. Two pieces of self-knowledge. And thirdly, he learnt that only God can save we see that in his prayer that he prays from within the fish. In verse 3, Jonah comes to the realisation that he's actually not deserving of God's favour. He realises that he is a sinner. He says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. He was using language that we know from the Old Testament that has to do with God's judgment. You remember the flood of Noah, of course. It had to do with, with water. Jonah knows there's divine justice, and he knows that he deserves it. He, the prophet of the Lord, the one who should have known better, has been plunged beneath the waves of the Lord's wrath. We go to great lengths to avoid this self-realization we avoid looking in this kind of mirror as long as possible. And we tend to medicalize everything, including our sin. We say that a sinner, what a sinner needs is therapy. Surely the root cause of our misbehavior lies in our lack of self-acceptance or in the mean words our parents said or because we belong to a persecuted minority group of some kind. But here's the prophetic message of the fish. You don't deserve... God to rescue you. No one deserves God to rescue them. And Jonah needs to get this straight before he gets to the second truth, which is this. You are spiritually powerless. You don't deserve God's favour and also you're spiritually powerless. 
Mostly, you know, we find this to be a second blasphemy, a blasphemy against the God of our age, which is ourselves, right? And to blaspheme against us is to say, well, actually, no, you are spiritually powerless, not powerful. You know, Obama's slogan really resonated. It got him elected twice. And what was it? Yes, we can, right? Yes, we can. I think he stole this from a children's TV character called Bob the Builder. I don't know if you remember Bob the Builder, but Bob the Builder used to say, can we fix it? And the reply was, yes, we can. Uh, now, Bob and Obama, that, that's great cut through. That's great message because that's how we feel, don't we? Can we do it? Yes, we can. But what we need to expect, what we need to accept is in fact the opposite. No, we can't. We are spiritually powerless. It's very hard for us to accept that, but Jonah, of course, has no choice, does he? He's stuck in the, in the digestive tract of a sea creature. And so there's only one thing that he can do. Pray. He prays to the Lord. And in fact, you'll notice that his prayer, beautiful prayer, is actually a prayer about praying. He says in verse 1, I called to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, which is death in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Out of the belly of death itself I cried and you heard my voice. Then down in verse 7, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. What else could Jonah have done? He can do no other thing than prayer. But this one thing he does, powerless though he is, is extremely powerful. Because the powerful Lord, the Almighty God, hears his prayer. Now, I've often been powerfully reminded of this truth when I felt that life and ministry have become overwhelming. Now, I've had a number of occasions to be reminded of this truth in this last 12 months. I've had that feeling. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. God, I'm, I'm in hit over my head. This is beyond my competence. What can I possibly say into this terrible situation? What can I possibly do that will make a difference to anyone here or help them to see God or remind them of your love? How can I provide an answer or any meaningful response to the situation that I have in front of me? And, you know, it's at these moments that I find myself turning to prayer because what else can I do? They can't teach you about those things in theological college. You can't prepare for them. At that moment, I'm absolutely helpless, and so I'm t I, I grasp. I turn to prayer. And I suddenly discover that I should have been doing this all along. This is actually the one killer difference that we Christians have. It's not a talent or a power that we possess. It's that we realize our own impotence and our lack of wisdom and utterly depend on God's power and wisdom. And that leads us to the second, leads us to the third thing that Jonah learns in verse 10, right at the end of his prayer. Deliverance or salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah can't deliver himself. He can't save himself. The idols of the pagans can't help him. They are dumb and empty and powerless. Only the Lord can save him. And so the only thing that Jonah can do is to cry out to the Lord for help. You cannot 
save yourself. You cannot deliver yourself. You cannot realize yourself. And the idols of the pagans, the idols of the pagans of our day, money, technology, belonging to the right network, having a fantastic work life, therapy, romance, the idols of our time, they cannot help you. They are empty and powerless. Only the Lord can save you. And realizing this opens up finally Jonah's salvation. As he says in the prayer, you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He was in the grip of death itself, his strength ebbing away, all but gone. And here's the miracle. Not that the fish came along or that it spewed him back out on the dry land. The real miracle was that the broken relationship between God and his proud, petty, cowardly and finally desperate creature, Jonah, was restored. That is grace. That is the grace that saved a wretch like Jonah. That is the grace that saves a wretch like me. And so here's, here's the word of the Lord to you today from the book of Jonah. Only God can save you. So cry out to him. Can you receive that word? See, Jonah knew it. You know, Jonah, he'd been in church a lot of times. He was a professional church person. He knew it in theory, but he didn't know it in here. He took being swallowed by a fish for him to really understand it. Can you hear it? Can you let Jonah's experience, hearing Jonah's story, be enough for you to grasp it? Then in God's mercy, he's given us this very graphic picture of his grace. Will it cut through the fog of your self-congratulation and spiritual complacence? Or does God have to shout more loudly to you than he does in this book? Sometimes it's the people who've reached the bottom who can see the mercy of God most clearly. It's the view from the depths of life that is more clearly a view of heaven very often. As Dr. Timothy Keller writes, it's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how completely to depend on God. You never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So this morning, what will it take for you to realize that? What will it take for you and I to get it? Hopefully not a big fish. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.